0: Eligible items only exclusions apply. See eBayMotors.com. Today's episode of something to wrestle with is brought to you by SaveWithConrad.com. Who am I kidding? That's me. I want to help you make this the best Christmas ever. How's this for starters? You can skip your December and your January house payment. You're done until February 1st and come February 1st, you're going to have a cheaper mortgage. It's not a matter of if we can save you money. It really is a matter of how much. But what i'm most interested in is saving you tens of thousands of dollars worth of unnecessary interest if you're in a 30-year loan we can show you how to pay your house off faster and do it with cheaper monthly payments we can also help you get rid of all your credit card debt just like that and you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this in fact if i can't save you money i won't waste your time and we should mention we're licensed in like 42 different states so we can probably help you out too Find out how much money you can save right now for free. When you get a cheaper monthly payment on your mortgage, you reduce your overall interest rate, you knock out all your credit card debt, and oh yeah, you cut unnecessary years off of your home loan. It's easy to find out at savewithconrad.com. Get a quick quote right now at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender.
1: Welcome. Do something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. First, Pritchard. Who's Pritchard. Pritchard? Well, you know, that's not a real. She pooted. What no rip! No, yeah, me. there's no box of gimmicks. <laughs> rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. It, it, it was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I ain't scared. Of shit. <laughs> I ain't scared to Fuck him. You, Bruce. Ah, look. You, you cheese. Double cheeseburger. You take the bread. Double cheese. you know, and then double mayo. You know, it's called chicken salad. Double. Cheese. Oh. Nothing
0: but an egg sucking dog. They're on your Google machine. Oh, damn hey, hey, it's Conrad oh, Thompson, and you're listening to something far. to wrestle with.
1: Mm. Bruce Pritchard Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Connie, it's cold up here. Yeah, it's it's like it's 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 cold. Yeah. How? It, it's fucking cold. Yeah. I suspect
0: that it's colder in Connecticut than it is in Alabama.
1: Is that fair to say? I would say that you are probably about nine thousand percent correct. I think it is colder in Connecticut and especially in this here house than it is anywhere. Anywhere in the world, North Pole, Antarctica, Ant-Eater Antarctica, wherever the hell it is, it's cold. But this is colder.
0: Well, what's real cold is that we're going. We're going to go way back to Survivor Series nineteen ninety four last week. We covered survivor series, 1999, a lot of meat on the bone. You're at the uh, height of WWE in 1999. What was the feedback you got from last week's episode?
1: Uh, mostly positive. I, I think that, uh, you know, that was a lot of fun. Just going back and revisiting. I don't think it's going to be, you know, here's 140 folks. We'll actually say that you know, I say that now, then we'll, we'll just disappoint them. I think it's going to be more fun this week.
0: You think this week will be more fun? I do well listen you're sick you're tired i don't know that this is going to be more fun just because you're not your usual bruce pritchard in fighting shape but 1994 is a very very interesting time in the company to say the least
1: well they're all interesting times in the company there by god and um That's what makes this business so damn unique is that you don't have just, uh, it's not the same thing every day. It's not the same thing every hour for fuck's sake, uh, things change on a dime and business is, is exciting. So you just got to keep up with it and, and move on and enjoy the ride.
0: Well, I'm excited because, uh, SmackDown. Is coming to Birmingham next week. You're going to be in my home state. I'm going to cruise down and check you out. It'll be the first time I've got to see you in a little bit. And looking forward to catching up. And uh, folks should tune into Fox tonight because you guys are going to have a hell of a show, right?
1: Yes, we are. We're in Chicago, by God, beautiful the beautiful Allstate Arena. I always refer to it as the Rosemont. It will forever be the Rosemont to me.
0: Yeah, it's one of those famous buildings where... You know, you've heard so much about how guys like Stone Cold Steve Austin loved to wrestle there because of the wood ceiling. And he felt like it really helped the noise from the crowd. And I've got to see wrestling there. It's pretty special. And you guys have a full weekend there, including survivor series this weekend. And I guess congratulations are in order. Uh, the rumor and innuendo is that on the preliminary numbers, NXT beat AEW in the ratings this week. Any comment? You excited? You high fives everywhere.
1: I am excited. Uh, You know, Hey man, you do what you can do and who knows? That's a man. It's a marathon, not a sprint. I love that quote.
0: Well, listen, this is a bit of a marathon today because we're going to go way back. I mean, a long time ago, 25 years ago to survivor series, 1994. And don't forget, we're not done with survivor series. We'll be back at you next week. We're going to do a watch along your Thanksgiving tradition. We're going to drop it on uh, thanksgiving night so next thursday night tune in fire up your wwe network and watch survivor series 89 with us what's the last time you saw survivor series 89 do you think you ever saw the broadcast version
1: huh i don't think so i yeah i probably watched highlights from a tape but i don't really think i ever watched the whole damn thing all the way through
0: so there you go bruce is going to see it for the first time next week and some of our younger listeners will too uh, it's going were, you to be. A
1: born, were you even born in 89? Yes, I was 8. Were you born in 94? Yes, I was 13. Okay, I was just looking to see if you could do the math that quickly. By the I, way, have to, I have to like figure it out and cipher and carry the 3 and minus the 2 and all that good shit.
0: Yeah, your math is not the best. Ba- I don't know what I was thinking when I put you in charge of uh, our show finances. Here, how did you wind up with that job at Me when I kind of do it for a fucking living?
1: I don't
0: know. You can have it though. No, no, I'm good. You can keep it. All right, let's get to it. Survivor Series, 1994, November 23rd is when this goes down. So uh, tomorrow, Saturday, the exact 25-year anniversary the Freeman Coliseum in San Antonio, Texas. Draws the sellout. 10,000 fans are on hand. A roughly $140,000 gate. It's going to do a 0. 0.9 pay-per-view buy rate, which is roughly 2.32 million dollars. And this is still about a year before the monthly pay per views are going to become a thing. At this point, there's only a handful of pay per views a year. The big four Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, uh, SummerSlam, Survivor Series. I guess we would slide King of the Ring in there. So uh, a little fun for all. We, at this point, have not even started the Monday Night War. Nitro is not yet a thing. Our most recent major show was SummerSlam, which took place in August, which we've talked about a lot in the past. It too happened right there in Chicago, but this time at the United Center, we would see Bret Hart in an amazing world title match inside of a steel cage against his brother Owen Hart. And of course the undertaker versus the under faker 94 is an interesting time because it is pre Monday night war, but the battle lines have certainly been drawn in 1994. WCW would land the, uh, the opportunity to work with Hulk Hogan And they have a record showing at Bash at the Beach against Ric Flair on pay-per-view. The month prior to this, they do the retirement match. It's a rematch for Hulk Hogan Flair inside of a steel cage. They bring in Mr. T and there are real stakes, the retirement angle. How are you feeling about the company? Maybe in a state of transition, this is, you know, we're still sort of getting over the idea that Hulk Hogan is no longer a part of us. And now he's with the competition and we're trying to double down on, you know, the new generation you've been with the company at this point for more than seven years, with the exception of one year break. How are you feeling about the state of things?
1: You know, it was the new generation came up from whenever you look at marketing you look at, um, sugar crisps or a cereal or laundry detergent whatever, they'll change one ingredient in it or something put a little bit more of something in there and all of a sudden it's the new and improved um, that was the selling point As we were looking at our business and looking at WCW's business which had taken Hulk Hogan on and what have you that we had promote something new we had to view our business in a brand new way hence the advent of the new generation and trying to what that really meant was was that what you had been used to for the last five or six years um that was no more this is new these are these are the new guys on the rise and and what have you so that that was the thinking behind it and it was a lot of trial and error and it was a lot of, you know, can Brett carry the ball? Can we, you know, do we have enough around all of this to get back to that point that we were in the late 80s of, you know, you slap a match up and by God the arena sells out. So it was constantly reinventing and constantly trying to come up with new ways to promote new talent and just, it
0: was a new direction. So, you know, you're in a bit of a transition behind the scenes. There've been some legal challenges, you know, are you guys, are you, are you, where's Vince feeling about the state of the product is, is he excited with the direction of the company? Is he just trying to limp along to the next big idea? How would you categorize the the tone and tenor of the chairman here in late 94?
1: I would say somebody said it to me best when they described everything that's going on. I said Vince needs a hit. WrestleMania was a hit. WrestleMania three was a hit, and it had been quite a while before we since we had had that hit. You know that that really big outside of the box get the entire world talking and buzzing about what it is that you're doing. So I think that. Look, you you can knock Vince down a million times. That son of a bitch is going to get up with a smile on his face and say, all right, come knock me down again, motherfucker. So that was his attitude. That was it was never a, well, shit, God damn it. Guys We're, we're defeated. They're nipping at our heels. But there were realities also. And the reality of it was that Vince didn't feel comfortable bringing new talent in without them knowing exactly what the lay of the land was with the, the, the upcoming trial and the, the whole thing with him. So it was, it was an interesting time.
0: It is an interesting time. Um, what he feeling about the whole Hulk Hogan situation? You know, I know that the rumor and innuendo is that if Vince didn't create it, he doesn't necessarily love it. And I know you're going to poke holes in that, but Hulk Hogan was very much at this point, not only his biggest and best, but had to be the creation he was most proud of. And I know Hulk Hogan existed before and so did Hulkamania technically, but no one can debate that he took it to new heights. He has to feel ownership a little bit. So when he sees Hulkamania running wild on another channel, you have some weird feelings about that. Do you think?
1: Well, he was hurt, and he was hurt not just from a business standpoint. He was hurt from a personal standpoint because through those building years, there were no two closer people in the business than Vincent Hulk that helped develop, 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 develop uh, all those aspects of Hulkamania along the way. So there was a personal bond and a personal friendship that had been built that now, you know, Hulk going. All well, he can say it was business. It was personal, and I think Vince really took it personally, and I think he was hurt. It, it was it was like a really bad divorce.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess that makes sense. A bad divorce. Um, you know, allegedly Hogan was not signed long term. Uh, I think uh, Bischoff would argue that, but the dirt sheets were certainly saying that. Uh, Hogan's contract was going to be up At the end of 94 Do you remember there being any conversation About hey we might be able to get Hulk Back in 95 or we've got some ideas If we can work that out or At this point where you just dead, Was Vince dead set on He's not here and we're moving on as if he's never Coming back
1: We were moving on now if he came back Great how would he fit in the new picture However there were no hopes Of oh my god we, we could Get Hulk back I think that Everyone had resigned themselves to Hulk's gone, make Brett move on.
0: Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about where business is at the time, because it is an interesting time in the company. Your average attendance in November of 93 is 3,300 fans in November of 94. It's 3230. So roughly the same down 2%, but still 3000 and change is what you're looking at. Your average gate in November of 93 is $43,070 and charging a little more for tickets here in November of 94, you're at 48,700. So you are up about 13% there. Here's the advantage though. You're running a lot of smaller buildings gone to the days where you're running the giant arenas. Now you're running like for instance, here, instead of running the dome in San Antonio, we're running a 10,000 seater. So you're still well, selling out shows,
1: but that was our home. Joe and Harry was our home in San Antonio.
0: No, I'm not arguing. Yeah, we, I'm not saying you routinely yeah. work shows, you know, then in, in domes. I'm just saying there's nothing wrong with right sizing. You know, let's, let's get buildings where we can sell the most tickets and, and make the most profit. That's just, you know, good business, right?
1: Absolutely. And and it was going to markets that we were familiar with that had traditionally, come out to support and that, you know, we're always there. San Antonio is one of those markets that was always good. No matter what the climate, um, San Antonio was good.
0: Let's talk about, uh, what you're doing on your way to survivor series here. You hold a press conference on October 27th in Hartford announcing that WrestleMania is going to be coming to Connecticut on April 2nd. And it's going to be a part of the festivity surrounding the special Olympics world games, which would be in Connecticut at the same time. And the WWF also announced they were going to host a three-day fan fest from March 31st to April 2nd at the civic center, similar to what they did at Madison square garden the prior year. So I guess this is like the, uh, the early days of WWE access. Although I don't think it was necessarily called that back then. Talk to me a little bit about Hartford, Connecticut. You know, up to this point, WrestleMania has been held in Madison Square Garden or, you know, L.A. or Chicago or, you know, a big dome near Detroit. Well, I guess it's not really near Detroit, but in Michigan. I mean, you've you've had really big venues, the Hoosier Dome and, you know, the Sky Dome. and, And now for this one, we're in Hartford, Connecticut. This feels like a step down, or was it more about strategy of, You know, maybe from a PR standpoint, aligning yourself with the special Olympics.
1: No, it was, first of all, it was kind of like coming home a little bit. And Hartford was in our backyard. If Stanford had a large arena, we probably would have run Stanford at that point. But it was about being in the New York market and in that tri-state market, which Hartford still was a part of. Um, and with the the lure of LT, that also made it very attractive because in in New England you you had you know the the Jets, the Giants, or the Patriots, and LT was a huge huge star in the New York market. So we knew we would draw from New York as well. Uh, Hartford less expensive to run, and the building manager, longtime old friend. So it was everything lined up for us. In addition to that, being able to have access to the convention center adjacent to it, uh, it all lined up for what would be a successful event without a lot of outlay for us, if that makes any sense at all. Because it's it just – Hartford in, in, in a lot of respects, you know, that, that was home.
0: So, you know, when we're talking about how, you know, we're optimistic and we're moving on, were you a little concerned how you would draw without, or in this current climate? I mean, the way you just laid it out, it almost feels like you're, you're really focused on keeping expenses low. And usually when you're doing that, it's because you're not sure what the top line's going to be. Am I misreading that?
1: No, I don't think that the, you know, that's probably accurate because it was in a time where the business wasn't setting everything on fire. So you wanted to be conservative. You didn't want to put yourself out there, but the year before we'd been in the garden, um, and the year before that we'd been out in Las Vegas. So the only stadiums that had been run for WrestleMania was WrestleMania three and, um, Of course, WrestleMania eight
0: and six, six as well
1: and six. Yeah. Um, so three, you know, three out of the 11 were stadiums and the philosophy a lot of times was go to a smaller building, charge higher prices. Your gross is going to be, or your net is going to be more than if you sold out 93,000 seats because the cost to sell 93,000 tickets is much more than the cost to sell 11,000
0: let's let's get deeper in the weeds on that and just explain it in layman's terms the rent on a big building uh, a football stadium is going to be significantly more than a 15,000 seat arena and you've got to offset that with more ticket sales but in order to get that many people in you probably need to reduce your ticket prices so it's not just your most hardcore you can get some more casuals who will still come in and find it affordable. So if you go less is more, you can Jack ticket prices up, have a smaller venue and still maybe come out ahead because your are more passionate fans will pay the price,
1: right? And you don't have all of that. Your money then can be for marketing is then used to push pay-per-view instead of the live event in local areas and all that surrounding area. So for a New York market, which Hartford would be considered a New York market in many ways. You want to sell that fucker out and then push everywhere around for uh, pay-per-view. If you had a big stadium to fill, all of that New York marketing would have been to get people into the building. So the costs on every level, um, just made, made the difference. And you wanted, you wanted more people to buy pay-per-view
0: just so everyone knows the, the difference of. Like Hartford and Stanford, it's probably what hour and change apart. Hartford being further North yeah, an hour, one hour and you know, to go from Hartford to New York, two hours and change
1: about an hour and a half. Okay.
0: Well, the, uh, the other interesting thing we got to touch on here is sort of the precursor of, you know, WWE fan access, which started out as a WrestleMania thing and then expanded to some, uh, a few other events. Essentially a fan fest of sorts. What were some of the early ideas you remember back in this era, all the way back in 1994 for what you guys were trying to do for shows like this?
1: It was all about the NBA and, uh, the NBA did it first, with their fan access. I forget what the hell NBA experience or That may have been the NFL experience. However, they had been doing these conventions in conjunction with their big, tournaments and what have you. So the idea was, well, it's an interactive experience for the fan. That's going to come from, you know, international, whatever. We had a lot of, a lot of international people that came for just WrestleMania. Well, this was an opportunity for them to now experience something more than just one event event. On Sunday, this was an opportunity for to meet the wrestlers, to get autographs, get their pictures, and create an experience that was different than just going to a live event. So, access was a way to again get get the talent out there and give the fan access to the talent and create some different things. I don't know if we had a ring in Hartford, but we had matches. If we did, um, I know that came later, but a lot of it was autographs and, and we brought all of our vendors from the action figures to the uh, championship belts, which even back then was a big deal for the replicas brought them all in and everybody that we did business with, they displayed at access. So it was uh, we brought in professionals that did conventions. And it was a huge, huge undertaking.
0: Well, I'll tell you what's not a big undertaking and, uh, that's taking better care of our pets. Did you know that up to 80% of the immune system is influenced by the gut or that supporting the immune system through proper diet and digestive health enables pets to better fight environmental allergies? Solid gold is passionate about gut health because a healthy digestive system positively impacts the immune system and overall wellness of the pets solid gold was the first holistic pet food company in america started in 1974 by sissy mcgill and sissy was a trailblazer and a pioneer who disrupted a male dominated industry and created a natural pet food before it was cool sissy was inspired by european pet food and the fact that european great danes lived longer than their american counterparts her first recipe hund and flockin has now provided high quality nutrition and digestive health for over 20 generations of dogs. And Solid Gold's nutritional platform is inspired by their founding belief that high-quality food is the best way to impact our pet's mind, body, and spirit. For over 45 years, Solid Gold has revolutionized the holistic pet food category, and they have a recipe for any dog or cat's dietary needs, including whole grain and grain-free options, wet food, supplements like sea meal, and 100% human-grade bone broth for dogs. Solid Gold Foods are different because they cleanse the digestive system with whole superfoods, balanced with living probiotics, and fuel with omega-3 and 6 fatty acids, supporting gut health and nourishing your pet both inside and out. And right now, Solid Gold is offering our viewers 30% off your first order by visiting solidgoldpet.com wrestle. That's solidgoldpet.com slash wrestle for 30% off your first order. Remember solidgoldpet.com slash wrestle. And you tell me that your mangy mutt really loves this stuff, right?
1: Well, I don't have a mangy mutt, but you just heard my dogs barking just then because they heard you talking about solid gold. And my wife is a stickler for what she feeds our dogs. And just last night, Dodger, when I came in, Dodger followed me all around the house just hoping that I was gonna make that one stop at the cupboard and give him a solid gold treat. And he is the best puppy dog in the whole wide world, but he loves the solid gold. And I don't think he can have dinner without their bone broth. So it is something your pets will love you even more for.
0: Check it out. Solidgoldpet.com forward slash wrestle. All right, let's get to these TV tapings. October thirtieth for Action Zone we see Shawn Michaels and diesel team up against the one, two, three kid and razor diesel is knocked out by a Michaels super kick and the faces get one near fall after another on him before diesel finally recovers. And as Michael's ducked, diesel puts the big boot in kid's face for the pin. This of course is the click all wrestling each other. Do you remember this match was it ever talked about for a pay-per-view?
1: No, not necessarily. I mean, this was all building towards the Sean diesel match at WrestleMania. So it was, it was all about building to that. And I don't know that, you know, this particular match, this was a way to get guys over and have a great match.
0: It was a great match. And, uh, those guys were obviously enjoying working with each other. And the click seems to really start to gain steam after this, as far as their much talked about backstage power. What do you remember about here in late 94 Were these guys already as thick as thieves? I mean, is, is the click a thing people are talking about in late 94?
1: Not, I mean, yes and no, but I say not really. Um, they were guys that were all hanging out and diesel was kind of finding his way, but this was also during the time that Vince saw in his head, you know, okay, diesel's going to be that guy to, to go to the next level, maybe. Um, so Yes, there was talk about it, but at the same time, there wasn't, um, oh my God, this is what we have to do right now let's build them. Let's get the, let's get the big man over. Let's make him a baby face and let's see where we go from here.
0: Let me run through an interesting thing. I found on my research here, uh, talking about house shows. You guys ran the Meadowlands, Nassau Coliseum, and Madison Square Garden on consecutive nights with essentially the same lineup every time. The Meadowlands only draws twenty six hundred, Nassau only draws thirty eight hundred, and MSG only draws ninety five hundred. All three nights are Bret Hart versus Jim Neidhart, with Backlund interfering and it backfiring, and that allows Bret to win. Backlund would promise Vince McMahon at the MSG show that at the next show he'd have the title belt. And at one point on the, one of the other shows, he puts a chicken wing on Pat Patterson. The reason I mention this is it, it feels like this is your home base, but it also feels like the New York market has a lot of smart fans and a lot of diehard fans, and you're running essentially the same market three nights in a row with the same lineup and hindsight, was that the best idea?
1: I don't think it was, but the idea behind it was to play to that particular area, if you will. Um, but I don't think it was a good idea at all because you're, they're all within a 60 mile radius of each other. So it, it's, I just don't think that was a real good idea.
0: How does it try the, it? But, but why does, why do you do it? I mean, you just think
1: to try it, to see if, you know, people would, that would normally go to the garden, for example, if we only had the garden running, people that normally go to the garden, what if you live in Jersey, you're close to the Meadowlands. you've got the same card, you're going to go to the Meadowlands. All right, let's see how many people go to the garden. Let's see how many people stay out on long Island. That was kind of the theory thinking that they may draw more. I think that it was exactly the opposite that people were like, Oh, well, fuck, I'll just go to mine. Instead of wanting to go to all three, but you don't think we should have ever run all three, you know, within days of each other either. this was back to back to back, um, experimental, trying to save money on travel and trying to save money on different things. But I don't think it was a good experiment that worked.
0: Let's talk about Randy Savage. Um, at the end of, of October 94 is when he's suddenly gonna leave the WWF. go to wcw we've talked about that a lot on our randy savage show it's available in the archives but talk to me a little bit about your memories of how this this all goes down it's the november 7th raw where vince announces that randy had left and thanked him for all he had done for the company a little uncharacteristic for vince to do on air like this
1: It was, but I think that Randy was a special talent and had a special bond with Vince at the time that was unique. And Randy, like Hulk, Vince had become close with Randy. So when the phone call came in, I think that it was the first one was Randy had to get drunk to call Vince and tell him. And Vince didn't want to talk to him while he had been drinking and asked him to call the next day. And when he did, that was a day of raw that Monday morning. And that's when Randy told him he was going to WCW. And Vince was not happy. He was hurt because all of this, you know, Randy had always said, you know, I won't do you like Hogan did. I'll be the guy. I'll be your Babe Ruth. I will always be here. And then out of the blue with no indication on our, our end, um, you know, Vince wanting to make Randy an employee and bring him into the office and all these other things. And out of the blue, yeah, I'm going to WCW. And had to had to have several beers to even call Vince to tell him that. And that kind of upset Vince as well. So it was uh yeah, it was hurtful. It it really hurt him. It hurt
0: Vince that he needed a drink to tell him?
1: Well, partially. Yeah. If you're going to be, look, if you're going to do it, then, then do it. Be a man. Don't get, don't sit there and have to get yourself all messed up to get up the nerve to do it. And, you know, the next day, Randy called or Vincent called him and said, let's talk. And Randy says, yeah, I'm, I'm gone. I'm not, I'm not coming in. I'm not going to be there tonight.
0: You know, I know we talked about this a lot on the, on the Savage podcast, but let's just circle back for a minute. Do you think. There was anything Vince could have done to get him to stay or at that point had, had Randy made up his mind.
1: Well, Randy wasn't, I think Randy had made up his mind, but Randy also wasn't given any options to, to do anything. It Wasn't like, Hey, if you'll do this for me, I'll stay, or we do this, I'll stay. It was I'm gone.
0: You know, the, the rumor and innuendo is that he wanted to, he wanted to wrestle and he was pitching the, allegedly a feud with uh, Sean Michaels. And he had creative in mind for that. And Vince didn't allegedly see him as a wrestler at this stage of the game. And, and you sort of insinuated when you said, oh, he wanted to make him an employee and maybe you didn't mean it this way, but I was picking up the vibe there that you didn't really understand why Savage would be an employee.
1: It feels like I don't have a problem with Randy being an employee because that's what Randy wanted. Randy wanted. Look, the the rumor and innuendo, I I don't know where that comes from unless it was after the fact that WCW came in and said, hey, uh, we want you to wrestle. We don't want you for anything else. Well, then he's going to go wrestle. And then his excuse can be, well, they wouldn't let me wrestle at WWE. So, look, I was there. Randy never expressed to me. As a matter of fact, Randy expressed the opposite. So the rumor and innuendo, the narrative that is out there that, oh, Randy wanted to wrestle, that's – never said that to us. Never said that to the people that would make it so that Randy would be wrestling all the time. So he never made that clear. And I don't know how many times or ways that I have to say that, that it's like, well, no, he – no. Maybe he did, but he never expressed that to us. Why, people that could have made that happen.
0: Why did Vince sort of break protocol? I mean, obviously it's, it's, it's his company do whatever the fuck he wants, but he usually didn't acknowledge when someone leaves, you know, they're just not there anymore. And then they show up somewhere else. Why, why do you think Vince went on air and, and thanked Randy for all that he'd done for the company and did it publicly on raw like this?
1: Because Randy was special and Randy was synonymous with the brand at the time. So that's what Vince wanted to do, and he wanted to let Randy know that, hey, Randy, um, no matter what you did, we still support you, and good luck. And that was the only way Vince knew how to get that message out there. I don't think that he felt he was going to have any more conversations with Randy.
0: Let's talk about Jacques' show. It's in the Observer that Jacques and Vince had a major falling out that received some press in Montreal. Uh, allegedly, Rizzo is trying to put together a show the same day as the Super Bowl, January 29th, at a 60,000-seat Olympic Stadium. Meltzer right. Originally, Ed Cohen, who handles arena bookings for Titan, had, at the request of Rizzo, talked with stadium management, but Titan balked when they wanted 280 grand in rent and setup fees. Rugeau then negotiated the price down to 154,000. And just as he was ready to ink the deal, McMahon told him he didn't think the time was right and that the company or the city were hot enough for such an undertaking. In addition, the match that Rougeau wanted to headline with, Backlund defending against Pierre, couldn't take place by that time, which he wasn't aware of. There was a story in the November 22nd Le Journal, which, by the way, I'm proud of that, which portrayed
1: Rougeau. Le Le Journal.
0: Who is going to donate one dollar for every ticket to a local children's hospital? Uh, which means, I guess, here that he's being denied by McMahon the chance to raise sixty thousand dollars for a children's charity. Who else would say it appears from the outside, however, that Vince McMahon made the right move, because traditionally the WWF has a tough time drawing big return crowds after a blowout show, as the last Montreal card was, and fifteen to twenty thousand would look bad in a building that large, what do you remember about this, this falling out? And I admit, you know, when we're booking smaller buildings in this era, booking a 60,000 seater with backland and Pierre on top
1: seems kind of risky, very risky. And, And with the state of the business at that time, it was very risky in a market that we wanted to take care of. And it was a market that we were running and all of a sudden Jacques Rougeau wants to run using our talent, but Jacques wants to be the promoter, and reap the rewards. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a WWE, uh, idea backed that we were looking at, Hey, this will be great. We can go and run this stadium. That just was not the case. And the market was not good at the time. And I certainly don't think that Pierre and Backlund would have drawn 60,000 people by any stretch of the imagination. And Jacques would always come up with these ideas to run shows and do different things. Some good, some bad, but Jacques always was also looking out for Jacques and Jacques was a big star in Montreal. He was a local celebrity that people knew and Jacques wanted to take every opportunity he could to, to make that celebrity even bigger.
0: In early November, Brett Hart would film an episode of Lonesome Dove. How do you remember this coming together?
1: Well, Brett's, uh, agent, Carl DeMarco at the time had a Lonesome Dove was shot up in Calgary, or if it wasn't in Calgary, it was in Vancouver, I think, or somewhere up in the Northwest, uh, Canadian area that Brett had this opportunity through Carl, he knew some of the actors and knew the director and they thought, Hey, Brett's here. Would you like to have a recurring part? And that's how it happens. I mean, that's not what you know. It's who, you know, a lot of times.
0: Something I've always wanted to ask you about, uh, it's reported in this era that, and this is directly from the observer. The Ico pro company was sold and is no longer a part of the Titan structure. We used to see commercials on TV all the time with the wrestlers wearing Ico Pro shirts and talking about the product. Why do you think Ico Pro wound up going belly up?
1: I think that you were selling to a niche audience and Ico Pro was something that had been developed to supplement the WBF, the World Bodybuilding Federation. The Ico Pro system was where people oftentimes would get confused as it wasn't just like a, a protein powder. It was a system. It was, you take this supplement here, you take that supplement here, you take supplements while you're working out at peak time, put this horrible tasting shit under your tongue. And it was, it was complicated. So to a bodybuilding audience, which is a very small niche audience in the big scheme of things, I think, um, the WBF it had already gone by way of see you later, and ICOPro was just next. We tried to do it for a while. I will say this. The, the protein bars that they had were excellent, um, but it just it just was ahead of its time.
0: The, uh, the catchphrase, do you remember what it was?
1: I have no idea.
0: You've got to want it. Well, you do. You remember. how would Vince say it. Come on. It was his commercial.
1: Goddamn. Yeah, I don't want it.
0: So, you know, I have in my notes here that it's sold. Uh, I have a report here for what it sold for, but I don't have a report for who it sold to. Do you know who bought this thing?
1: I have no clue. I know it was something that Fred Hatfield, who developed it, um, was going to be involved with. And Fred was kind of part of the deal. So it was... Here, Fred's gonna help you develop this further and take up our remaining inventory and move on.
0: How much do you think Vance wound up losing on ICAPRO?
1: Not sure about losing. I don't think he lost a lot of money on Iker Pro. probably broke even, but we sure as hell didn't make any money.
0: I have in my notes here that when he sold it, he sold it for an unsigned birthday card. <laughs>
1: I'm sorry. I'm
0: trying to keep it together here.
1: Did he call nine one one?
0: I'm trying to get through my notes. This is a real report. Try and Whew <laughs> in my notes here that he's <laughs> let's just move on uh, on November <laughs> on November 20th in Tokyo, Japan there's a big women's show here in Japan and uh, Alundra Blaze is going to drop the title to Bull Nakano and that happens of course at the Big Egg Wrestling Universe November 20th, 1994 of course she's going to win that title back on April 3rd before eventually losing it to Bertha Faye, and then she'd win it back. And then at the end of '95, that's all she wrote. But I'm most curious about this because, you know, at this point, I guess the, the belt's been around for almost a year. Uh, Alunga Blaze won a tournament in like December of '93 to get the belt. And our first title switch doesn't happen in America, it happens in Japan. That doesn't seem like something Vince would have done. I don't remember title switches for the men happening in Japan a lot. Uh, and this match is, believe it or not, the 22nd match on the show. So big women's night. Chat me up. What do you remember about how, you know, Vince got on board with with having a title switch in Japan?
1: Well, we wanted to get more stars, so we figured if we had the match in Japan, we'd get more stars.
0: Oh God. Um,
1: what? Come on. Well, that's what we said. We said, well, we could have this match in Cleveland or we could have it in Tokyo and a three-star Cleveland match is like a nine-star Tokyo match. Okay. So we said, let's have the match in Tokyo or Tokyo.
0: Seriously. What's the, what's the rationale? What, why does Vince agree to let one of his belts change hands?
1: We were looking for opponents for Alundra and it was something different uh to bring Bull back in and do a little program with Alundra. They worked well together and it was a favor to Alundra. How difficult was it?
0: You know, there's not a ton of a female wrestling talent in America at the time. How difficult was it to find, quote unquote, credible opponents for Medusa?
1: <sighs> you know, the 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 difficulty was to find several you know that we're able to work and we're able to have matches, but uh, also that would would kind of fit into the new new way we were trying to do things. Uh, just a more physical. Medusa was a very physical uh, talent, and she didn't work like the moolahs of the world. And you wanted to kind of bring that style forward. Well, that style really didn't exist and hadn't made its way over to the United States yet. And Medusa became, um, she, she adapted that style in Japan. So do it in Japan, have the title switch, get some buzz, and then bring it back over here. And you want Medusa to defeat that evil empire.
0: Let's talk about, um, something that was written here about new talent in the observer expect a major influx of new talent over the next few months. Uh, besides Kenzuki Shinzake, as mentioned last week, who we know is going to be Hakushi, headed in expected to be at least or Brian Armstrong. Tell everybody who Brian Armstrong is.
1: That'd be old BG James road, That'd dog, be road dog, Jesse James. We've also That'd got the, Billy bad. No, wait. Well, he was, he was the real double J Jesse James. I like that fake double J. You ever hear the song he sang? Well, how did it go? She's a good singer. It would kind of went, Spend my days working hard on the go, but the hands on the clock keep spinning too slow. I can't wait to be alone with my baby tonight. You know my baby's got me wrapped around her little finger, and you know that I would walk through hell and back to be with her, because I can't wait to be alone with my baby tonight. Night. That you, that you, Pittsburgh, you beautiful audience. That you, that you.
0: Also, coming in, Louis Piccoli, Mark Canterbury, and Meltzer would say, as a new Hillbilly Jim style character called Henry Godwin. And Brian Lee will be here, who uh, has debuted as Jeff Jarrett's mystery manager on November 28th in Poughkeepsie. Chris Candido and Tammy Fitch have been talked to about trying to recreate a blonde bombers tag team with Candido and another wrestler managed by Fitch, a modern day Ray Stevens and Pat Patterson gimmick. Uh, talk to me about the uh, comparison with a modern day Ray Stevens and Pat Patterson gimmick. I don't know that I would have just jumped right to that comparison for Dr. Tom and Chris Candido.
1: Well, it wasn't Dr. Tom and it wasn't a modern day tag team. It was Candido coming in with Sonny. So there was none. That's probably what Dave Meltzer was hoping was going to happen. And of course he printed something that was completely incorrect and never discussed.
0: Well, I mean, he does form a tag team with your brother and they do not till, not
1: till much later, not till after the body Donna's with, uh, Sonny and Chris. Was a thing. And then later on, I was like, okay, what are we going to do with them? And then the tag team idea came up later.
0: How, who's helping sort of eyeball talent in this era. How are some of these guys on the radar?
1: Um, I am Howard is just whoever. Um, I don't think we had Kevin Kelly in the office yet at this point, but we had pretty much anybody that watched. Anything other than our show. Hey, come to us. There's somebody that you think you really like that could fit. Let's take a look at him
0: uh, Meltzer would also say several of the key guys like Lex Luger and Undertaker have to fly an all-nighter out of San Antonio on Wednesday uh, to be in the early morning Thanksgiving Day Macy's Parade <laughs> in New York. Uh, this is right after Survivor Series. I'm sure the boys were fucking tickled with this.
1: Oh, it was the best, the best Macy's day Thanksgiving parade. And we had a float and the list to get into the Macy's day Thanksgiving parade is the Macy's day. The Macy's Thanksgiving day parade, um, is long and arduous and, and difficult to get into, but we had an end that was able to get us. Into the parade, we prepared a float, and since it was our first time, wanted to make sure that we had uh, the top talent on there, and it was a hell of an opportunity to be seen on national TV when everybody's watching the floats go by. Undertaker was ecstatic. He was so happy to be there. And, you know, Lex, with his great attitude, he he said, gosh, can I drive? Can you find me a bus maybe and get me there?
0: I, uh, I can't imagine that any of the guys were really excited about this idea. D- does anybody get a bonus for going to do this shit or is this just part of the fucking gig, man? You're
1: going to be a top guy. Got to do top guy shit. Okay. dokie.
0: Let's get to survivor series. We're going to start off with gorilla monsoon and Vince McMahon doing commentary and I think this is gorillas last pay-per-view commentary appearance. And, uh, I think it's the first time he's done commentary since like Royal Rumble, uh, 93, maybe, did you know, going into this, this is going to be Gorilla's last pay-per-view commentary appearance.
1: No, uh, we, we didn't, you know, it was obviously from, you know, I'll go back years, there was always a search for new on-air talent, um, that was ongoing. It's ongoing today. It's ongoing every, every place. And if it isn't, it should be because you're, you're constantly searching for new and if nothing else, it keeps your current talent on their toes and keeps them sharp. So I don't think anybody knew, Oh, Hey, this is gorilla's last show. It just happened to be.
0: Yeah, he did. He did call the, the 94 Royal rumble on the radio with, uh, Jim Ross, but this is you know the last time we're gonna see him like this. I assume he's just filling in for Randy Savage, since Randy's out of here. I mean, Randy would have probably been in that spot otherwise, right?
1: That is correct.
0: Let's uh talk about how the show begins. It starts with a clip from quote earlier today, Shawn Michaels talking to his team, and then we get Razor Ramon talking to his team, and then another clip showing Lex Luger talking to his team, and then Ted DiBiase talking to his team. And of course, Doink talking to his team and Jerry and all talking to his team, this feels a little bit of, uh, I don't know, a little repetitive. Who would have been in charge of sort of laying out a show like this on a shot list? If, if that
1: makes sense. I did. Oh, okay. Well, this kind of sucked, didn't it? No. All right. No, it's, it's another way, you know, for forever you would always have your teams and it's like the Royal Rumble. You got to list every guy on it. It was a different way to see all the teams and to plug what was coming up. Instead of just graphics showing all of this, you go back and actually see them and talk about it.
0: Well, something you're going to see and have everybody talking about is bluechew.com. Bruce, tell everybody about your rock hard dick that I know you're enjoying multiple times a week.
1: Well, earlier on, we were talking about uh, having a little meat on the bone. Well, if you need some hard meat on your bone, then Blue Chew is the way to go. And if you're a little embarrassed to go to the doctor's office and wait in line and have to have that consultation in person with the physician and, and then you got to go to the pharmacy and what have you and get it filled. It's like, oh, excuse me. Yeah, no, uh, who's got the Viagra? No, no. BlueChew.com is the way to go. It's a chewable. That means it gets in your system a little bit faster and you will be ready to go with a lot of hard meat on the bone. And with our special offer, um, you hate it when I do this.
0: I do because you're about to give stuff away for free. I am. I I guess the story is if you go to BlueChew.com, you get your first shipment for free, but you've got to use our promo code wrestle and all you'll be out is just the $5 shipping. But to Bruce's point, because it's a chewable, it can work faster. And because you get to skip the in-person doctor visit, it's also cheaper than those other two, Viagra and Cialis. Instead, you work with a bluechew.com affiliated physician. And they'll consult with you and help you find the right active ingredient and dosage that best works for your life. And then it shows up at your house in discreet packaging. So you save some money, you save some time, you save the hassle, the embarrassment if you're worried about that. But by the way, this is not just for dudes who have a problem? This is for somebody who wants uh, to enhance their performance. So get your dick on the gas. Go to bluechew.com, use our promo code Wrestle, and just pay $5 shipping. That's B L U E C H E W, com. promo code Wrestle, five bucks. And man, you're going to get so hard, even a cat couldn't scratch it.
1: Yeah, harder and longer.
0: Okay. Uh, All now, right. Let's talk about the uh, first match here. The bad guys are going to take on the Teamsters. The bad guys are Razor Ramon, One Two Three Kid, Davy Boy Smith, and the Head Shrinkers, and they're taking on Shawn Michaels, Diesel, Owen Hart, Jim Neidhart, and Jeff Jarrett. This match goes 21 minutes and 45 seconds. The bad guys get the win. Um, after the match, should mention uh, there's a, a bit of a, a situation here where the two. Uh, start arguing. Of course, we're talking about Sean and Diesel. And Diesel's going to wind up chasing Sean out of the ring and the building and, and throw around his partners on the floor. And it's going to be ruled a five way count out at five minutes and 47 seconds. So Ramon is the sole survivor. And then after the match, Sean would throw his tag belt on the ground and drive off, making it clear he wants nothing to do with Diesel again. And Meltzer would say, It's a good angle but the wrestling was below par and the finish with a five-way count out was horrible. So he gives it a star and a half. What'd you think?
1: I thought it was a good opener because it was telling a story. We had been slowly building up the story with Sean and diesel and it's a a attraction match to start the show. It's a match. that could have easily closed the show, but you get the story out there with Sean and diesel. And I thought it was good, but all this match was there for was to tell the breakup story of Sean and Diesel.
0: It's pretty amazing how quickly, you know, we're putting over Diesel. I mean, Diesel is just destroying his opponents here. You know, Jackknifes Fatu, Pinfall, Jackknifes Kid, Pinfall, Jackknifes, uh, one of the head shrinkers, pinfall. I mean, just one after another. Uh, and then the big, you know, five way count out. It feels like it's gonna be you know, Razor Ramon versus the entire world. But instead he just sort of gets a bye, if you will, uh, after the match, we would see Sean shown in a parking garage saying he can't believe what diesel did to him. Pat trying to interview him here. And he says, nobody's ever heard of diesel before. And, um, Michael says something like he should have known better than to try this tag team stuff with him. Tosses down that tag title takes off. He's still in his wrestling gear. It's a cool little angle, and it, and it is, as you said, the beginning of Diesel's baby face turn, and Sean's working here with a broken hand. How long had this Diesel baby face turn been in the works?
1: Well, we started talking about it the year before at the Royal Rumble when Diesel had you know, eliminated people and just looked like a monster. Um, that became the Diesel spot in the Royal Rumble in so many ways. But um, So, yeah, it was it was something that, It was a slow turn and lit just little things that some people picked up. Some people didn't. Of course, I'm sure Dave Meltzer picked them all up incorrectly, but, um, you know, it was, it was a long story. It was one of those that when it happened, people were going, Oh, I knew it was going to happen, but you just didn't know when. And this was the backdrop for it.
0: I think with this win, Razor Ramon comes like, becomes like the first and only man in survivor series to be a lone survivor without ever scoring a pinfall or a submission.
1: Well, sorry. Oh,
0: that's cool. Okay. What's not cool is what's next. Oh, come on. Come on. We've got the Royal family, which is Jerry Lawler, queasy, sleazy, and cheesy. And they're going to beat. Clowns are us with a doink, dink, wink, and pink. That's right. Sixteen minutes of this horse shit. It gets negative two and a half stars. My God. What are we doing here?
1: Uh, this is fucking great, man. It's a highlight of the night. We went to Little Folks Are Us. We found a dink and a wink. Well, we had Dink. We found a wink and a pink, and then we said, "You got any queasy sleesies or cheesies?" I said, "As a matter of fact, we do in the back because we are little folks. Are us? Of course, we do." And uh, Lawler named all of those guys. <laughs> we brought him in, and and it was. Uh, the King's court and Jerry just took one look at him. And that's how he can't, he just came up with the names off the top of his head. It was absolutely hilarious.
0: Is it true? You guys tried to put two in the pink and one in the stink.
1: Sorry, Connie, you've, you've lost me again.
0: I was say it was all comedy, but that's using the term comedy very loosely Lala rolled through a crossbody using the tights to win the first fall. The next three falls saw dink, wink and pink and that order get eliminated. Largely with Lawler helping his midgets in all three falls. After the match, Lawler got mad at his team, claiming he did all the work and didn't want them to raise their hands in victory while they continued to do. So he told them to kiss his feet because he won the match for all of them. He kept raising their hand and Lawler started chasing them. At which point Dink, Wink, and Pink came from under the ring and they had the six midgets chase Lawler around the ring. What a pathetic sight it was until Lawler oh, come on. ran up the it was aisle. Excellent and got a pie in the face from Doink after the match was over uh <laughs> Doink's music is going to play and Vince is going to do his over the uh the top laugh here and then we'll see a highlight of bull Nakano beating Alundra Blaze for the women's title in Japan the prior Sunday and Nakano is interviewed by Todd Pettengill and she spoke Japanese so yeah talk to me about your you know this segment here with uh, Lawler and the little people, this is a Vince McMahonism. This is something he loved.
1: We all loved it. It's a highly entertaining segment. And, I mean, it wasn't meant to be a, a 42 star Tokyo Dome, Quasimodo, fucking Hiroshima, Nagasaki match. Um, it was meant to be a. Comedy let up match and just give the kids in the audience and everybody else a moment to laugh, have a good time, and, and go with it. it. Wasn't ever meant to be taken seriously except for Queasy. He was a little fucking weird, but um, that's all it ever was. I mean, goddamn, you, you, you can't just have every single every single match be these fucking everybody bouncing off of shit and doing fucking no selling, goddamn bullshit, fucking high spots. It's a different way to go variety. Let's talk about, um,
0: the, the bull and on Lundra blaze match. Allegedly it was rumored to take place. That it was going to take place here. At Survivor series. It doesn't. Do you remember that being discussed that, you know, this match was supposed to happen. Is it cut for time or why doesn't it make the pay-per-view?
1: No, it wasn't because it was never supposed to happen. And that's one of those, situations where dave Meltzer says oh i know what they're doing Wait, they had this on. match they, in japan dave didn't and say they're that. gonna do it in in survivor series the rematch they just assume and make shit up dave didn't say that i bet he did okay well it's just rumor and innuendo just you know you well, should, rumor we're in re- innuendo you might as well say dave Meltzer because well, that's all I, he is all right
0: well hang on hang on hang on hang on hang on why show a highlight of the fucking thing if you're not going to show the match because you're going to tell the fucking story why not do that on goddamn TV?
1: You're still TV? telling stories because why you, you want to get to the match later on. You don't want to fucking just have, okay, here's the match. Then what? You want to build to it, make people anticipate it and want it.
0: But why not do that on TV where more people will see it and want to buy it?
1: Because at that point we were all about goddamn fucking pay-per-view and the television was a different vehicle. The television was about promoting live events and promoting pay-per-view. Yeah, but it wasn't what, about the ratings
0: then. I'm not arguing. I'm not, I don't think will was pulling big ratings, bro. I'm just saying well, it feels like this could have been, or this should have been something that you're just showing more people. If you're not going to ha- have the match here on pay-per-view, why would you show a highlight package for something that you're not going to see on the pay-per-view to continue the story? Okay. Fuck it. Let's move on. Uh, the next match is for the world title. It's Bret Hart. It's wrestling Bob Backlund in a submission match. And their feud dates back to like, I don't know, the end of July. There was an episode of Superstars where Bob would challenge Brett for the world title. And at the time they're both baby faces. And Bob believes he's won the match, defeating Brett. Uh, but the match had not ended like Bob thought it did. And Brett winds up pinning Backlund. And when Brett goes to shake Backlund's hand after the match, Backlund slaps him in the face and locks him in the cross face chicken wing and turns heel for the first time in his career. Backlund's old school man, he'd always been a babyface, and now he's turning heel and he's working again at, at an advanced age after years of not. Talk to me about how this deal came together for him to get back in the ring and how receptive he was to the idea of being a bad guy for the very first time.
1: I think Bob had finally grown into it. You know, the idea of Bob Backlund being a heel had been discussed. With Backlund events many, many years before. And Bob didn't feel that he could pull it off and also wasn't comfortable being a heel. However, as Bob got a little bit older, and Bob wasn't that old here, but um, as Bob got older, you know, Bob developed some characteristics that were very heelish. If someone were to ask him for his autograph, he would say, Tell me the president's. And he wouldn't give you an autograph unless you were able to tell him the president's from Washington on. And that's kind of heelish. In Bob's mind, he was teaching. But we we took all of these Bob quirks um, and just accentuated them. And told Bob, you know, Bob, how do you feel about this guy? How do you feel about that guy? Well, let's say that. Bob wasn't really crazy about the style of wrestling at the time. He wasn't crazy about some of the guys that we had there, but Bob was a throwback that we felt is a throwback that he could get some heat and be able to, to be a fucking heel that people believed in.
0: Once he turns heel, he's demanding respect from his fellow wrestlers, insisting they refer to him as Mr. Backlund. And he's using the crossface chicken wing, a hold. He says it's unbreakable as his finishing maneuver. Eventually a rematch with him and Brett is made for survivor series. And it's even named a submission match, but with a stipulation that the only way for a wrestler to win was to have the other person throw in a towel. And since this required each wrestler to have a corner man, each of the participants choose one. Of course, Bob chooses Brett's brother as our travel Owen Hart. And Brett chooses his brother-in-law, the British Bulldog. These guys go 35 minutes and 11 seconds in a match that can only end when someone throws in the towel and it only got two stars, which I guess is a little surprising because you would think that uh, in this era, especially Dave really loved the longer matches. What do you think of this one it was had had Styles clashed had the better days passed by by? Was he able to adapt? How did Brett do with Bob's style? what do you think of this one? You watched it this week for the first time I, in a long time.
1: I thought it was great. I thought that it was everything you just said is what we wanted to happen. And it was a style clash. It was a fucking, um, personality clash. It was every kind of clash you could think of. Brett was new. Bob was old. And we wanted that clash. But I think that Brett was able to take it and make the match unique to fit his opponent. And Backlund was able to go in and do his stuff. And by God, if you didn't believe when you started, you believed at the end. And it was a cool story. You got Owen involved, Stu and Helen. And Backlund was made at that point. But it was, I think Backlund was made back on July 4th earlier. But um, it was a unique finish. And it it was something that people weren't going to call. And for that, for that reason, I think that, uh, they accomplished it.
0: I thought the match was, was good for what it was. I was never a big, uh, fan of, of this version of Bob Backlund. Um, and I don't know, 35 minutes to me, uh, seems really, really long. Um, of course, you know, we're involving, uh, the parents here as always, with, you know, Helen and Stu and, Meltzer would say the best part of the entire segment was Vince McMahon and gorilla monsoons indignation at what Owen did. He says that was awesome. Uh, but then monsoon tried to get over the fans of the building were crying when everyone in the background was smiling. When they finally caught a female fan on camera who looked sad, she immediately started jumping up and down since she was on TV. Um, you're trying to get over a big story here that, you know, you're, you're having Owen sort of fake being a baby face. Begging for his parents to do something to throw the towel in. It tells a great story. Is this is this a Pat Patterson move? It feels like something Pat would have been heavily involved in.
1: Pat was, and it was. You know, he laid out the match, and Brett laid out the match. Um, I thought everybody did a great job, but yeah, it was hold very well and it had been laid out for a while. So I, I love it when a good plan comes together.
0: I don't know when we'll talk about backland again. Let's talk about him here. He's a uh, post-match Brett is helped to the back by the officials, including Pat Patterson backlands, then handed the world title and Meltzer would say he had this crazy yet excited look on his face and Backlund, of course, poses on the apron with McMahon, putting over how big of a feat this was that a 45 year old man like backland could win the world title similar to george foreman in boxing he says this is the new generation i shudder to think you know this is a a big moment for bob backland i assume when you guys first bring him back did you have this idea in mind already or are you just as surprised that this wound up happening as as we were
1: I don't know if it was surprise is the right word, but when we brought him back, no, the idea wasn't to do this. And my idea initially, which Vince originally kind of poo pooed was to bring Bob in as a heel. Um, but then as Bob got there and Bob's, like I said, his heel tendencies came through. He's like, how can you not fucking do it? So we just, we, we made that change and, did it in the Northeast where Bob had, uh, you know, a, a big following. And Our that reputation. was that, yeah. you know, that was that, that, July 4th deal. And it just, it felt good to me. I, I loved it. It was one of my favorites.
0: Let's talk about, you know, you're pushing new generation and you're sort of mocking the other folks for being older and now you're putting the belt on an older guy. Anybody raise an eyebrow at that? I mean, obviously Vince is addressing a little bit on commentary, but it does feel a little out of place. No,
1: yeah, because we used it as a story that the old guard didn't like the new generation and felt that the old generation was better. These new kids that they're not, they can never measure up to the old generation. So yes, we used it as a story.
0: I'm just fascinated by Backland in this era. How's he to deal with here? You know, now, now he's back and he's excited to be there. I'm sure he's healed. That's a, a new lease on life. And now he's the world champ. Do you remember having any conversations with him in this era?
1: I do a lot because, you know, we were, we were doing all the creative at this point. And Bob, I had heard horror stories about working with Bob and Bob believing in himself, maybe a little bit too much to his detriment at times. However, I got completely the opposite experience that Bob, um, seemed to love everything that we brought to him and was just happy to be participating. So I never got any of those horror stories. I never got any negative, um, anything from Bob Backlund. The, the guy that I worked with was a true professional through and through and an absolute joy.
0: By the way, even though we're talking about Bob Backlund, like he's elderly and out to pasture our longtime listeners already know what i'm gonna say he's 45 years old here uh rick flair on the other channel was was gonna flip flop the title for like six more years by the way aj styles today that's what you were waiting on is 42 years old triple h today is, is 50 so you know we're not out to pasture the way maybe people think we are the uh the reality of this is For lack of a better word, Backlund is a transitional champion. It's a big moment, no doubt, that he's beating Bret Hart. But he's going to lose the fucking thing three days later in New York City. And he's going to lose it to Diesel. And it's going to be quick. Is the idea in switching the title like this just to further the storyline for Owen Hart but not yet give away Brett and Diesel and save that for another time.
1: Absolutely. Didn't want Diesel to win it from a baby face Diesel was the, the turn hadn't been complete yet, and that was going to be the icing on the cake. That was the cherry on the fucking Sunday. And having a heel champion with a shocker like Bob Backlund, um, that's what made it.
0: You know, it feels like you know, we're we're accomplishing a lot of things here because Backlund's reign is three days. Diesel beats him immediately. We just saw diesel mow down an entire team on the opening match of the survivor series. He turns against one of the hottest heels, Shawn Michaels, who he's tag champs with, and then he lays waste to five dudes single-handedly. And then three days later beats the new champion. I mean, in seconds, almost immediately in Madison square garden. So we're really making him to the home crowd. And now we're going to wait a full year before we get Bret Hart to beat him for the belt also at survivor series, but this time survivor series, 1995. And we just covered that on grill and Jr. If you'd like to hear about that show, how far in advance did you have all of this sort of mapped out that, Hey, we got to get, we got to get diesel over as a babyface and as a monster, but we need to get the belt off Brett without having diesel touch him. And then we'll f- switch it back and
1: uh, there was no talk about switching it back. We just wanted to get to WrestleMania with diesel and Sean. There was not a lot of, you know, Oh my God. in another year we'll go with Brett that we hadn't planned that far in advance at that time. So we wanted to get to WrestleMania. We knew where we were going for mania and that was the goal uh, beyond that. We wanted to see how diesel held up as champion. Could he do it?
0: Let's talk about the creative for diesel in the main event. I know, I know we've talked about this, but. Wrestlemania 4, there's a there's a new champion crown. Wrestlemania 5, there's a new champion crown. 6, the same. 7, the same. 8, the same. 9, the same. 10, the same. It changes in 11. Diesel retains. We don't have a title switch. We don't have a baby face chasing a heel. Why the switch? Why the paradigm shift from Vince that we're not going to put a baby face over a heel champion for the world title at the main event?
1: Well, I, again we went back to what had worked. You know, WrestleMania one, the champion won, WrestleMania two the champion won, WrestleMania three, the champion won. So yeah, you, know, you can pick that out as well. It was just going back to building a baby face and building a monster baby face and the face of the company. Um, make him look strong. Put him in the best light that you can in the biggest show of the year.
0: I assume Backlund knows going in he's gonna hold the belt for three three nights and he understands and he's cool with it. Yes, he is. Let's, uh, let's talk about Stu and Helen being involved. This is one of Owen's best performances. Uh, even though the match was a little long for me, the story told was really well done and Stu and Helen had been, you know, regulars on TV, probably going back to SummerSlam 91 when we saw him in the crowd, when Brett won the intercontinental title for the first time, talk to me a little bit about, you know, Owen and Stu and Helen here and, and how great they were.
1: You know, all you had to do was put the camera on Helen, and Helen was a cutaway machine because she was into every match. Um, She reacted to everything beautifully because to her it was real. That was her baby in there. Helen reacted. Stu reacted as a proud father and a concerned father. And then Owen Hart, I can't say enough great things about Owen Hart because Owen Hart brought it all together. The baby of the family, mommy, mommy, please. You got to save my big brother. I can't look, we've had our our differences, but I can't stand to see him like this anymore. Please mommy. And playing on every, um, everybody that has a mom or siblings, I think could relate to that. And Owen Hart, Helen and Stu, they all pulled it off because they played it as if it was real to them. And it was,
0: let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about what Brett's doing after the match, he's going to get six weeks off. He's going to return on January 9th at raw in Houston. And, uh, according to Brett, this is the longest break he's been given off of wrestling in a full decade. So he just beat up needed, needed some time to recover. Was this his idea or did Vince say, God damn pal, take a break.
1: God damn, Brett had been running. I think that kind of what precipitated, uh, preci- is that even a word? We'll go with it. Okay. Y'all know what I mean. What made this happen was the conversation of Brett, you know, looking, going, you know, I haven't had all this time off. We knew what we were doing with the championship. So it was a good time to say, hey, Brett, take some time off. Um, that's all it really was. It was a rest your body up. Um Spend some time with your family and then let's get back to work on the push to mania.
0: Let's uh, briefly run through the stats for Bob Backlund and then we'll move on. It's Backlund's second reign as world champion. His first reign lasted from February 20th, 1978, when he beat superstar Billy Graham for the WWF world title, and he holds it until December 26th, 1983. When he loses it to the Iron Sheik, when Bob's manager, uh, Arnie Scollin, threw the towel in when Sheik had him in the camel clutch. Bob's second reign, as we know, just a few days. Uh, with the win at 45 years old, Bob becomes the oldest WWF world champion in the process. The previous mark was set by Sergeant Slaughter in 1991, who was 42 years old in five months when he beat the Ultimate Warrior. Of course, Vince McMahon would break that record in 1999 when he won the belt at 54. And it's pretty remarkable that even today backland is just in tremendous shape. I've seen him, you know, in more recent years and he's still doing, I don't know, 38,000 squats a day and, uh, just eating leafy greens, like by the handful. The dude takes care of himself. Does he not?
1: Yes, he does. Bob backland is in the most phenomenal shape of any human I've ever seen. And he just, you know, Nike, just do it. Bob Backlund does it.
0: Well, you know what? We need to introduce Bob Backlund to health IQ. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates for people like you on their life insurance. And I'm talking to you if you're a runner or a cyclist, maybe you're in a CrossFit, another type of athlete, or even a committed weekend warrior, maybe a vegetarian or a vegan. If you're working out like Bob Backlund, then you deserve to be rewarded for your hard work with more affordable life insurance rates. And Health IQ can save you up to 41% because physically active people have significantly lower risk for heart disease, cancer, and diabetes. And Health IQ is not just a lead generator. They take the customer through the entire process of applying, and the policy is underwritten by one of our top insurance partners. But... These savings are exclusive to Health IQ. You won't find them anywhere else, and you must qualify to get a special rate. To see if you qualify, go to healthiq.com forward slash wrestle to take the proprietary Health IQ quiz. Depending upon your score, as well as other related qualifying factors, you can save up to 41% on your life insurance premiums compared to other providers. Again, that's healthiq.com slash wrestle to let them know we sent you. And start the process with the health IQ quiz. There's no commitment and you'll learn even more about potential opportunities to be rewarded for your commitment to living healthy. One more time. That's health IQ.com forward slash wrestle. Bruce, that's a no brainer, isn't it? Why not get a
1: discount and get rewarded for your good behavior? Absolutely. You need to do it anyway. And that's the best way to, to do it. Save money. Come on, take care of yourself. It's all good.
0: Let's get to our final elimination match of the evening. It's guts and glory versus the million-dollar team. A few months prior, Ted DiBiase is going to become a manager. He's going to start the million-dollar corporation. And prior to 1994, DiBiase claims to have added Lex Luger to the group. Luger, of course, denies having joined the group, despite Tatanka claiming that he had evidence that Luger had sold out to DiBiase. Luger and Tatanka would face each other at Summer SummerSlam, where they're both baby faces, but during the match. Pataka turns heel and it was him, not Lex who joined the million dollar corporation. Bigelow and Adam bomb had also been feuding since the September 10th episode of superstars and Bigelow would actually attack his opponent. Who's an underneath guy before the match even starts. And DiBiase would then claim the company was not providing suitable competition. And he challenged any wrestler to face Bigelow, Adam bomb responds. And the two brawl briefly. Leading up to survivor series, they're working together pretty consistently at the house shows and the heavenly bodies were not members of the million dollar corporation, but at the time they were involved in a feud with the smoking guns. And as a result, uh, we see the, uh, groundwork laid on the September 3rd episode of superstars of wrestling where the heavenly bodies attack the guns prior to the match and steal the guns. Cowboy hats. Yes, this is real. They put on the hats to mock the guns and then throw them on the ground and stomp them and everyone knows you don't stomp them in. It's a man's cowboy hat to get revenge. The guns would steal the heavenly bodies, ring robes and tear the wigs off of them. And that's how these two teams get added to Wings. The match.
1: What did they I have say? no wigs. You said wigs. Okay. Well, you know what I meant? motherfucker. Well, I did. So God damn it. I'm just saying that they have wigs on the ropes and damn it, Conrad. You know what? You take a man's cowboy hat. It's kind of like taking his letterman jacket or his leather jacket with his shit on it. Ben What the fuck, dude? This is what we're doing with our life.
0: This is what we're doing with our life. You know, listen, we're supposed to cover stuff and we came up with this. And we, the, why, why are you, why are you the way that you are?
1: I'm just lucky.
0: Tatanka. Bam, Bam, Bigelow, King Kong, Bundy, and the heavenly fucking bodies.
1: Don't say the heavenly fucking bodies like that. God damn it. That was uh, Dr. Tom Pritchard, gigolo, Jimmy Del Rey,
0: gigolo, Jimmy. Del- Is that the goddamn? they're going to take on guts and glory. Lex Luger, Mabel, Adam bomb, and the smoking guns. Unfortunately, our man Pritchard goes down in under four minutes. Thanks to a crossbody off the middle rope from Mabel, and thank God he lived to tell the tale. Uh, ultimately, you can imagine what's going to happen here. Um, Bundy is going to splash Luger to finish this off, and uh, they're going to keep beating on Luger after the match until the guns and Mabel make the save. Two and a half stars. So the heels get the win which is kind of hard to imagine, but it, it it happened. Is it safe to say that the bloom is off Lex's rose at this point? I mean, it feels like this is uh, a different performer than we saw a year prior.
1: A little bit. Yeah. I was trying new things with Lex and just seeing any, if there was any caring left out there at all, and they're really. Really wasn't. I I think that this was an opportunity at this time. Um, What we were looking to do in this match was, you know, Bundy coming back to the company was thinking, well, shit, you know what? He wasn't that far removed from his big matches in WWE, and he was uh, one of the guys that everybody talked about. Um, But Chris just didn't have the legs under him that he used to have.
0: Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, King Kong Bundy. How does he wind up getting back in the deal here? Like for him to land back in the company at this point, feels a little out of left field, but this is an era where he's even bringing back Vince. So I'm just, what's Bundy's story.
1: Well, I mean, Bundy was a huge part of the company and when you ask people, Hey, you know, WWF, the people that they talk about, you know, I remember that guy, King Kong Bundy and Hulk Hogan it was one of the first action figures that were made. And I think that he was synonymous with the company. So we were trying to recapture some, some magic with Bundy by bringing him back, but it just didn't work.
0: Yeah. It's, it's weird that, you know, he had such a big run with Hogan or it felt like it was. And, and then he's back here and It just doesn't work out. Why doesn't it work out? I mean, does Vince have big plans for him and why was it a miss? Was it his attitude was, has his style not kept up? Was he just
1: unsafe? No, he was out of shape. He was out of shape. And he, he was about half the, half the athlete that when he left, you know, he was a big guy, but what got Bundy over is a big guy that could move and a big guy that could work. But when he came back, he was just a big guy. And you didn't, you didn't have that same intensity of the young hungry Chris Peleus. And so, um, yeah, we didn't have the same guy. It was, it was just a big Chris Peleus, not King Kong Bundy.
0: Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about, um, your brother here. We haven't spent a lot of time talking about Dr. Tom, but it's gotta be a pretty big deal to see your brother on a pay-per-view like this. I mean, he uh, he hadn't been with the company nearly as long as you have. Was this a, was this a big family moment for him to be high up on the card like this in a big match?
1: Well, definitely thrilled to be on a pay per view. Yes, and it was during the time we were doing stuff with Smoky Mountain Wrestling, and the Heavenly Bodies were the top act in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, so it was a logical extension. But um, you know, Tom's, I think that to be able to wrestle in Madison Square Garden and some of the big arenas up there. I think that that was a thrill. And then here in San Antonio where he had spent his early days as a wrestler, then to come back and be a part of a big pay-per-view like this at the Freeman Coliseum is a big deal. So yeah, I think it meant a lot to him.
0: The new world champion is going to be shown doing a promo and he's talking about how he never really lost the title all those years ago. Now you children have somebody to look up to. This is
1: a great shit, is it not? Well, yeah, because it's true. And, you know, th- that's how Bob really felt. So you felt, you felt the honesty in his promos and in his voice. Now I'm going to give you all of you children something to, to look up to. Unlike that damn long haired, greasy haired Bret Hart.
0: The next match is the main event of the evening. The casket match between Yokozuna and the undertaker. The feud between undertaker and Yokozuna started a year prior survivor series, 1993, uh, during an elimination match, Yokozuna was unable to injure the undertaker, despite slamming the undertaker's head, in the ring steps, and even doing the bonsai drop on him and their confrontation. in that match leads to their casket match at Royal rumble 94, which we've talked about where unfortunately the undertaker died and went to heaven.
1: He ascended.
0: So, yeah, that's what I meant to say. Uh, of course it took nine men to do that. Um, we talked a lot about that in the archives and eventually we, um, we're going to have to have a rematch and it's this, it's a casket match here. But of course, along the way, undertaker had to beat the under faker at SummerSlam 94. And that sets us up here. And I'm pretty excited about this one because this is 15 minutes and 24 seconds and unbelievably fucking Chuck Norris. Is here to guard the aisle, to keep those goddamn heels from interfering. And he gets the biggest pop of the show. They turn the lights down, do the thunder and lightning gimmick for the undertaker. Big highlight of the show, especially in this era. And Meltzer would say this is even better than their house show matches. And at one point undertaker decks, Jim Cornette, eventually, you know, what's going to happen. Bundy and Bigelow and IRS are going to come down. They have uh, Chuck Norris distracted and they put the undertaker in the sleeper and undertakers then put in the casket by IRS, but everyone else is occupied by the Norris situation and Yokozuna has to spend like, I don't know, several minutes selling a clothesline when he finally recovers and goes to close the casket undertaker grabs him by the throat. The Jarrett runs down and he's going to be Chuck Norris's fall guy, taking a, uh, a kick and selling it big. Jarrett runs away. Undertaker hits another clothesline, a DDT, a tombstone breaks. The Japanese flag, puts it over Yokozuna in the casket. And that's all she wrote two and a half stars. And we finally get our return. Dude, this is, uh, quite the main event. It's not the world title match, but it is a return from the beginning of the year where we had the big, uh, casket match and undertaker lost with the help of nine heels. And now Chuck Norris talk to me about Chuck Norris and explain why this was such a big deal in 1994
1: Walker, Texas ranger, man. Well, first of all, uh, Chuck Norris karate, man. So karate, man, I think Chuck is a one-time hall of famer in black belt hall of fame. So that's extremely prestigious. It's not as prestigious as being a three-time hall of famer. However, Chuck was the star of a extremely popular television show on the USA Network, Walker, Texas Ranger. So we had the connection with USA Network and with Chuck Norris, and they wanted some more pub for Chuck. Um, And it was local. Chuck was just up the road in Dallas, and, God, he was fun and great to work with. Uh, We have mutual friends and Bill Wallace and Bill Gray. So I I enjoyed my time with Chuck, and at the same time, there was – there were times that Chuck was just wide-eyed, just looking around in awe of everything that was taking place around him. Because Chuck is a tiny little fella. I mean, he's really small. But Chuck competed in the heavyweight division in karate. Chuck probably weighed at this time maybe a buck seventy, $1.70, a buck seventy-five. And so he had slimmed down a lot, and and he was a movie star, so he had done a lot of movies and shit. But it was, it was just so much fun to work with him and go through things. And he had his uh, kicking jeans on, which the gossage has expanded so you don't rip them and protect your uh, testes. It was, it was great. It was great. Chuck did everything that uh, we asked him to do. And Jeff Jarrett got to take the sidekick from Chuck Norris. Nobody else wanted to fuck with old Walker, Texas Ranger. By God, so that was some badass shit. And what a pop and what an explosion for, from the audience when Chuck was involved. So it worked, in my opinion, on on all fronts.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's it's the right use of celebrity. You know, Chuck is a big deal at this time. You know, he's, he's been a big deal, not only for movies, but now in TV. Um, how did the deal come together? How was he to deal with? Uh, was this uh, a financial win for you guys? Was he a fan? Just talk to me about a little bit more about well, the Chuck Norris deal.
1: The deal came through USA network and, It was promotion for them and for Walker, Texas Ranger. And Chuck was a joy to deal with. Absolutely easy and fun. So in that regard, man, you couldn't have asked for any better. We've had celebrities that can be difficult. Chuck was exactly the opposite and super easy to work with. So I loved working with him and it was a great experience. I think he had a blast.
0: Let's, uh, let's talk about, the actual show itself here, the readers of the wrestling observer gave it 39.8% thumbs up, 46.5% thumbs down, 13.7% thumbs in the middle. How would you categorize this thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle?
1: For me, it was great. Nostalgia going back and watch it. Uh, to me, it was a thumbs up and I enjoyed the hell out of it, uh, from the nostalgia. And there was a lot in there for everybody. There was wrestling with Brett. And Bob Backlund, there was ha ha with Lawler and doink. There was story with Sean and diesel. And then there was the huge spectacle with undertaker, Yoko and Chuck Norris. So to me, the pay-per-view had it all. And it was fun to go back and revisit
0: the best match, according to the readers. And it's not close is Bob Backlund and Bret Hart. Of course, the worst match is the little person match real quick. Let's talk about the MSG show where, uh, Backlund's going to drop the belt would right at the garden, before a crowd estimated at 7,300, announcer Howard Finkel made the announcement of the match, but stated in a tease that it would be a non-title match, and then exuber- exuberantly corrected himself after a supposed change of plans given to him by agent Rene Goulet earlier in the show. Backland did a live interview to a chorus of heavy boos, claiming that he was a much better moral leader than Hart, and the fans, of course, are chanting for both Brett and Diesel. Uh, Meltzer would say the match itself was short as it needed to be because of who was in there with all the fireworks adding to the huge crowd reaction to the title change later in the show. Diesel came out to thank the fans amid another barrage of fireworks. And he was called the leader of the new generation on Monday night raw on November 28th. Uh, this is a big deal. And we should mention that over the weekend it was announced on the mania show that, Diesel is going to be, in fact, replacing the injured Bret Hart, because it had been advertised as as Bret taking on Bob Backlund. But on the syndicated shows and on the um, 900 lines, they're announcing, "Nope, it's going to be Diesel instead." In fact, on the way here, I think they even started to tease that the match was going to be no DQ, no count out, and no submissions, which I guess would have rendered. Bob Backlund's chicken wing useless, and Backlund's doing local interviews, trying to promote tickets. Of course, saying, "Hey, it's not fair! I've got a wrestle Teasel. I've been training to wrestle Bret Hart, and now they're throwing me this curveball." So he's
1: doing his best. But
0: I thought it was well done, and and it checked all the boxes.
1: Yeah, it was, and and it was again. Transition periods can be awkward sometimes, but they that's what they're for. They they are. It's a transition into a new direction and we stutter stepped a little bit with diesel, but at the same time, we, we got moving and eventually once he was ready to leave, hell, we about got him over.
0: Well, I think diesel left because uh, Lightstream wasn't around back then, but if it was, my advice would have been, you know, Kevin, the holidays are approaching and you might be thinking about how you're going to need to save some extra money. Consolidate your high interest rate credit card balances to a lower rate and save with Lightstream. Get a rate as low as 5.95% APR with autopay, much lower than the national average where the average interest rate is over 20% APR. Plus your rate is fixed, so as rates continue to rise, your low rate won't budge. There are no fees and you can even get your money as soon as the day you apply. Just for my listeners, you can apply now and get a special interest rate discount. And the only way to get this discount is to go to Lightstream.com slash wrestle. That's L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M.com slash wrestle. Of course, it's subject to credit approval, and the rate includes a half a percent auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply, and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit Lightstream.com slash wrestle for more information. And I cannot endorse Lightstream enough. If you're looking to do a little credit card consolidation right in time for the holidays. Why not I give Lightstream a shot? And maybe Yokozuna needed to do that. This is his last television appearance until WrestleMania 11. And the, uh, following April, he would be revealed as Owen Hart's mystery partner. They're going to beat the smoking guns for the tag titles. You know, what'd you, uh, what'd you think of their casket match here at the Royal Rumble, uh, and, or uh, at the Royal Rumble compared to this one? Did you prefer this one or the first one? <sighs>
1: I preferred this one just because of Chuck Norris and Undertaker going over. However, um, the first one was such a fucking train wreck. It was it was different and hard to forget. So it may be a tie, but if I was having to pick a winner, this would be the winner. Is this
0: Yokozuna's last WWE main event on pay per view? It feels like it.
1: Yeah, and and I think that not being able to work with taker every night, night in night out and Brett and guys like that for a long time. I think Yoko kind of got, got lazy and you know, it was, it was time for him to, to do something and give him a little rest. Cause he'd been running long and hard for a while.
0: I mean, really it's, it's him sort of winding down. I mean, he is going to be in a tag match at one of the in your houses. It'll be, um, Sean and diesel again in 95, they'll sort of patch things up and they'll take on, uh, Dave, you know, and, but this sort of feels like the beginning of the end for Yokozuna and the company for better or worse. Am I wrong on that?
1: Well, it was, it was the beginning of trying to repackage and and get him into some kind of shape. That was the hope. And that was the goal behind it all. Well, and you can hear
0: more about Yokozuna uh, in the archives. Uh, And don't forget, man! We've got so much fun stuff coming your way. Should we run through some of the cool stuff we got coming up? Because it feels like there's a bunch.
1: Well, sure. Next, I gotta find the email because I don't. I remember all. You have it all right in front of you.
0: I got it, baby. I'll do all the heavy lifting. Do it. Coming up next, we've already talked about this, but I'm pretty excited about it. Survivor Series 1989, which is a big show for me. I was watching this one on pay per view live when it happened. Uh, it's your Thanksgiving tradition here on something to wrestle. We're going to do a watch along. We're going to drop it on Thursday night. Of course, normally we're dropping Friday at noon next week. You're going to get it a little early. The main event is the ultimate warriors, which is the ultimate warrior, Jim Neidhart and the rockers. And there's a famous promo where <laughs> the ultimate warriors just running around these guys, taping them up with athletic tape, which is hilarious to me. They're going to take on the Heenan family, Bobby, Heenan, and Andre, the giant Haku and Arn Anderson. I think that's Arn's last big shot here with the company. Then we're going to do something totally different the week after. And this is one of our most requested shows. And, uh, it's going to be fun because Bruce wasn't there. It's Tuesday in Texas. Uh, I guess you were there technically, but you weren't employed. Do I have that right?
1: That is correct. But I was there in body.
0: On December 13th, we'll touch on Armageddon 1999, just in time for the 20 year anniversary. A few days before Christmas on the 20th, we're going to do hashtag ask Bruce anything, and we're also going to include Vince's monologue from December of 1997, the cure for the common show, where essentially Vince goes on raw and says, we're not going to insult your intelligence with good guys versus bad guys. That should be pretty fun. On December 27th, we're going to talk about something we touched on today. Sheiky baby. We're going to cover the iron Sheik and his historic win over bob backland of course we know we're just about a month shy from hulkamania becoming a thing in new york city on january 3rd of 2020 we'll start the new year with a bang baby talking about the mouth of the south jimmy hart kicking old school on january 10th we'll hit up new year's revolution 2005 just in time for the 15 year anniversary on january 17th we'll hit up the royal rumble 1990 one of my absolute favorite shows tony Schiavone on the call We get the tease of Hulk Hogan and the ultimate warrior for the first time on January 24th, we'll touch on Royal rumble, 1995, which is our next big show. uh, After the one we just covered today, we're going to do something totally different on January 31st. We're going to revisit one of our very first episodes. I think the episode that put us on the map, and I think you would agree. We're going to talk about the radicals when they jump from WCW to the WWF. Of course, we're talking about Benoit, We're talking about Perry Saturn. We're talking about Dean Malenko. We're talking about Eddie Guerrero. We touched on that very early on, but it was just you and I freestyling. Now, since we've sort of adjusted our format and we have way more research, we'll revisit the entire shooting match start to finish. But I think that'll be a fun exercise
1: for us because
0: that was really the show that put us on the map. Would you agree?
1: Uh, well, yeah, that was the 375,000 downloads in two days. So that was, that was a big one that, you know, and it came out of nowhere, but that is also the story that made you pitch me this damn show.
0: It is the genesis of us doing this podcast is Bruce telling me the story of the radicals. So we'll cover that on January 31st market calendars. And then February 7th, right around Super Bowl baby, we're going to cover Sherry Martell. Don't blame me. I voted for Sherry, man. I've been trying to get this on forever. It never won a poll. So damn it. We're just going to do it.
1: That's a fun slate of shows. What say you, Bruce? Can't wait. Can't wait. I'm looking forward to Tuesday in Texas because I have never, ever seen it on tape. Saw it there. You know what I saw there that night live. So I'm looking forward to that and, um, interested in going back to the radicals. That should be fun too.
0: Well, listen, I appreciate everybody listening this week. Hope you had as much fun as we did. Hope you have a great Thanksgiving. You'll see us next Thanksgiving night. So we'll see you next Thursday for Survivor Series 1989. Don't watch it. Watch it with us. It's gonna be fun. It's your Thanksgiving tradition here on Something to Wrestle. He's at Bruce Pritchard. I am at Hey Hey, it's Conrad, and we are out of time. We'll see you next week right here on Something to Wrestle With. Bruce Pritchard.
1: Shucka. Do you know Dave Silva? No, I don't know Dave Silva, man. But that motherfucker, one time I was talking to Pasha Villa. And he said they went to lunch and he ate all the burritos no se. Sé. john brings his skewed sense of humor jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together